When wine is on trial, the gossip is dishy. The judges are drunk. The verdicts are random. So random. This is True Crimes Against Wine. The Beverly Clear. Oh, Beverly Clearly. Oh no. Beverly Clear. We'll get back to Beverly Clearly. Oh no. I'm just going to call her Bev. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of True Crimes Against Wine. And we're doing another first. This season is the season of firsts. It is, even though it's our second season. Yeah. We should have numbered it differently. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. So today we are talking about our very first celebrity who is famous for being an author. Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah, so... Our wine is also, I believe, a first because I don't think that we've done anything from this particular region before. I'm not the one to ask about that. <laughs> we did like 34, 35 episodes <laughs> last season and we were drinking the whole time. Yeah. You know, like sometimes people will ask me like, oh, what was your favorite wine? I'm like, I, I don't know. I was drinking while I was drinking the that one wine. one tasted like grapes. Yep, basically. We are doing a Willamette Valley Pinot Ooh. Noir. Yes. This one is specifically from the hometown of our celebrity, McMinnville, Oregon. It is, yes. And I'm excited because I actually worked at this winery as an intern for a few weeks back in the fall of 2016. I mm. uh, got to go out there and work harvest, which is like their most like busy labor intensive time of year. And Mm -hmm. I'm excited to talk about like the winemaking process a little bit later on. But first I want to get into drinking this. So this is our Stewart and Company winery Mm -hmm. in the middle of McMinnville. It is his Big Fire 2019 Pinot Noir. Big Fire is like their kind of just introductory table wine. They also have a Pinot Gris that's Big Fire. Um, I really wanted to find one of his upper tier Mm -hmm. Pinot Noirs because they're just so beautiful but um it's such a small winery that i think that most of that kind of gets eaten up on the oregon local market sure this is what this is what makes it to us uh, because they make more of this but it's still a wonderful wine okay i was gonna say or for our oregon listeners Oh, buy up a bunch of wine, just ship it to us. Oh my God, please, please send me some. Oh my God, especially like the Dandelion Hills and the Autograph Pinot Noirs that this winery puts out. Oh, so good. Yeah, fact checkers that'll pay for shipping, so. Oh, fantastic, yeah, just he'll reimburse you. Yeah. Get, just get in touch with. Figure out the details. Yeah. Just fax fact checker at factchecker.facts. Dot AOL dot org. Yes. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Let's crack yes. this the open. Okay. I'm very excited. I haven't had... It's a screw top. It is a screw top, which, as we have talked about before, makes it so convenient for, like, picnics and things. Yes. I always get really, thank you, intimidated when I have a cork and I'm opening it in front of other people. (laughs) I think that's a pretty common thing for a lot of people. If you're not in the industry where you're having to, like, do it all the time and it becomes muscle memory. I'm like, oh, the pressure's on. I'm going to mess it up. Yeah. Um, This is a pretty color. Cheers. It is a pretty color. Cheers. How would you describe the color? I would say like a deep ruby. Yeah. It's a very dark, almost inky kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, really gorgeous. Nice. Like, just this like would a be, hint of red poking through. It would be like a really pretty color to wear. Oh, yeah. If, especially if you're like an autumn, if that's your color palette. Yeah, definitely. Right. Smell it. 
Oh my god. Good. This aroma takes me back. I can recognize an Oregon Pinot Noir anywhere now. Like from across the bar, I can smell it and be like, I know exactly what that is. I think you should do that next time you go out. Someone gets a bottle of wine and you're like, I know what that is. I smell your wine. I smell it. (laughs) God, it's so, so pretty as an aroma. So what smells are you getting? Mm, Dark, lush fruits, like really ripe, um, like black cherries. Mm Mm-hmm. Dark red plum. Mm-hmm. Are you getting um, any earthy smells? Yeah, okay. I am. Kind I was going like to say, a... I was thinking that, but I could just be thinking no. of the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> well, what what is, what is kind of earth is being evoked for you? Wet. Like loamy. That's yes. what I'm getting. Okay. Yeah, like that really rich black soil. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it really is something that you kind of associate. Associate. A good name for a sushi restaurant, though. Mm. Even like, I don't like fish. We're trademarking yeah. it. Yeah. Teriyaki, teriyaki, and associates. <gasps> yes. Perfect. Have it like in the bottom of a building that's a law firm. Yes. Oh, and all the lawyers go down there for their yeah. lunches. Yeah. And you're like, oh, what case you're working on today? Yeah. Trademark. We trademarked this whole little fantasy we've yes, created. Exactly. Okay. But yeah, you associate that loamy kind of earth with that Pacific Northwest kind mm-hmm. of, there's redwoods, there's ferns. Yes. It's, it's kind of. Always drizzly. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Let's taste it. All right. Oh, my God. So good. I'm going to take another little sip because I drank mine too fast. (laughs) I love you're holding it with both hands like a little toddler. I am kind of dressed like a toddler today. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to talk about our looks in a minute. (laughs) I'm getting more of the cherry than I smelled. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. It's a very... When I say rich, mm-hmm. I mean more like lush, not like heavy. Oh, it's no, not this a is heavy not heavy at all. all. Yeah. It's interesting how, because it's still very dark mm-hmm. in its flavors. It's interesting how dark it is and yet how like. Slight. Yeah. I want to keep coming back for another sip. This is, I know we have bathtub wine. I know that's yeah. our thing. This is a good like really cold day outside and you're in a nice hot bath kind oh, of bathtub God. wine. We're like uh, sitting on a porch on a fall yeah. day. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's light enough that I think you could bring this to like a spring or maybe even summer like patio picnic or barbecue. You and it wouldn't could, be out of yeah. place. You probably could. It's a really beautiful wine. And like I said, this is the table wine that they produce. Oh. So if this is like their Simplest, introductory yeah. level, then just imagine how good the other ones are. Yeah. <sighs> I'm excited. I, could keep, I should just drink this all day. It, well, we will finish this bottle. We will finish this Don't bottle. Don't you worry. <laughs> so should we start talking about our celebrity? Yes. I'm very excited. I know you are. So, And as, this is a perfect wine for this, actually, I which know. I'll talk about in a second. Oh, okay. So as Judge Topher mentioned, this is our first author I think mm-hmm. we've ever covered. And it's Beverly Cleary. I love Love, love Beverly Cleary. Yes. I don't really know anything about her personal life, but I okay. grew up with her books. Well, we're going to get into that drama. Excellent. No, just kidding. She's a very lovely person. Yeah, to me, as an elementary school kid, mm-hmm. reading her books, especially for some reason, I mean, I read them all the time, regardless, but for some reason, I really associate reading her with having like sick days at home yeah, because she's kind of like comfort food. Yes. I feel like her books are very much the equivalent of like a grilled cheese and a bowl of tomato soup. Yes, it's that literary comfort. And that's why I love that we're doing this wine, not just because it's from McMinnville where she's from, but 
this is almost like comfort wine. Like we were talking about. It is, yeah. You want to be on a cold day, it's like that wrapped cozy, in blankets. That yeah. cozy feeling, yeah. Yeah, she's a very cozy author. and She is. Yeah. So for those of you who may not be as familiar with Beverly Cleary, you probably know Ramona Quimby mm-hmm. from her Ramona books. That's yeah. probably what she's most well known for. I would say I that. And then also The Mouse on the Motorcycle. Yeah, Mouse on the Motorcycle is cute. I think yeah. it's one that. Yeah, but mostly for me, it was about Ramona. Ramona. I love me some Ramona. Yeah, so let's talk about Beverly. Okay. Her life. So she was born April 12th, 1916. Wow. In McMinnville, Oregon. Mm -hmm. She was an only child. Her mom was a school teacher. Her dad worked on a farm. So they lived a pretty kind of like rural life for a long time. And well, long if you're a child. Yeah. She was six when she moved to Portland. Okay. And that was like a, she talked about later on, like that was a really big transition for her going from like, again, this kind of like very rural, more isolated life into a big city. Yeah. And I mean, McMinnville from when I was there still is very much preserved in my mind, at least as to what it would look like in the early 1900s. They've done a really good job of keeping all of those old buildings and it's very, very small. It honestly is very much like a little just pocket of like quintessential nostalgic Americana. Mm -hmm. And because it's the Pacific Northwest and right outside of Portland, not in like a racist way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Although there are some things that I'm going to get into. There are like. But it really Mm -hmm. just the town itself looks like a Norman Rockwell painting, like just Main Street USA, you know. And I think that's a similar vibe as to what you get in her books, Mm -hmm. too. Like, it feels comforting. It feels kind of very classic specific mm-hmm. to America that a lot of people really like and gravitate toward because there is that feeling of nostalgia. Yeah, absolutely. With her books. Kind of a wholesomeness. It is. Yeah, that wholesomeness too. Yeah, exactly. She's an only child. When they moved to Portland, she really struggled to adjust. And she talked about being in elementary school and being put into the lowest reading group in her, her classroom. Really? So... When she was like six, you said? Yeah, mm-hmm. she's a kid. So, and she said she didn't like really truly like learn to read until about third grade. Wow. Like it took her a while and she was a struggling reader. Um, was she, did she have like dyslexia or anything like that? Or maybe, I guess maybe there's no way of knowing. Maybe. That is a very strong possibility or maybe some sort of like processing disorder mm-hmm. where, you know, what we know now in 2022 is a lot different than what very people so. knew a hundred years ago in the 1920s. Oh, yeah. We, actually, this we're talking it's about something that happened 100 years 100 ago. Years exactly. ago. Yeah. 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 1922. Exactly. So, yeah, when you think about it that way, it's like, oh, yeah, people have different understandings of child development and like learning and things like right. that. So we don't really know. But do you remember? Um, I don't know if this happened when you were younger, like obviously pre-cult for you when you were in like elementary school that you would have different groups before you were homeschooled. I mean, to say. Oh yeah. Like different like reading groups. Yes. And the kids knew which one was like the smart one. And they would name them after animals and stuff. Yes. These are the bears. So there was like a red bird, a blue bird and a black bird reading group. She was in the black bird reading group. Okay. Why they got to do the kids like that? I know. And honestly, black bird, should be the highest because blackbirds are some of the most intelligent creatures. I know. Crows and ravens are very bright. They're like the third. I want to say that crows and ravens are like the third most intelligent species. Probably. In the. In the species ten. In the universe of animals. Okay. Yes. I'll accept it. Topher, that could be completely wrong. Topher didn't finish his 
degree in zoology, so I didn't. I dropped out. He did. I had one credit to go, one and it was credit. it was the one about smart, birds, smart animals. <laughs> birds. <laughs> so she said that like that really impacted her um, as a kid growing up. Self esteem. Yeah, and she she eventually became a stronger reader. Like I said, she said about third grade was the time when she felt she could actually like, truly read. And that's when she kind of fell in love with like reading. But she saw there was a big gap in like what a lot of children's literature had to offer at the time. Yeah. And she kind of later fulfilled that. When she was in sixth grade, I love this. Her sixth grade teacher said that she had like a really good talent and she'd be like become a writer. Isn't that sweet and that's cute? That's great. And then she did. And she did. Like I love that she had a good educational experience that made up for like the early crappy one. Yeah. <laughs> It can make such a huge difference when For you have sure. a teacher who cares and invests. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are so many kids who struggle in different areas. I yeah. certainly was one of those children who was incredibly bright and make great grades, but struggled later on in like science and things yes. like that. And so it meant, excuse me, it meant a lot to Burby me. Wine. Very belchy wine. <laughs> it meant a lot to me when I had those teachers who would really kind of take me in hand and yeah. really encourage me in the ways that I was thriving and talented, yeah. you know? Well, yeah, I, I think what you said makes total sense. And also just think about too, as a child, things stick with you in ways that they don't when you're an adult. 100%. So an offhand comment from one adult to another, it may make somebody like mad or upset, but it's probably not going to impact you the same way as it does like a developing child. There's actually a scene about that in one of the Ramona books. Yes. Which book? Uh, I can't remember which one. Oh, maybe typical. maybe age eight. Ramona can be age eight. Okay. Yeah, where she is uh, in her like school nurse, mm -hmm. whatever, and uh, she overhears her teacher say, "What a nuisance!" and she assumes that it's about her, her and not a yeah. situation, mm -hmm. and so it like sticks with her the rest of the book until she finally is able to not confront her teacher about it, but, you know, say something. Yeah. Where she was like, oh, I thought that you thought that I was a nuisance. And the teacher's like, no. Was that maybe Ramona the Pest? No. Okay. Ramona the Pest, she's only like four. She, yeah, that's, yeah, she's younger in that one. You're right. Yeah. But yeah, that those are very true about how things can really impact you. Where, you know, if you're older and you're 20s or 30s, you're like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Like, no big deal. But as a kid, you really internalize those things. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean adults and how they view you that's your entire world mm -hmm. it's earth shattering to think that like a oh, it grown is. up yeah. doesn't like you yeah that's very oh yeah i remember wanting my teachers to like me all the time mm -hmm. and like i remember one time i forget what grade it was i think maybe like fifth grade i was kind of like i was i was always the good kid in school let me preface Same. that yeah Same. like always like following the rules like answering questions like doing what i was supposed to do but one time I turning was having like a little side conversation with a classmate. I was a chatter too. Well, I wasn't really a chatter. I was normally like, shh, let's listen to the teacher. But like this time, like for whatever reason, and the teacher was like, Rachel, you need to be quiet. And like, I was devastated. I was just like, oh my God, this teacher thinks I'm terrible. I need her to understand that I'm not a bad person. <laughs> right. Like, it really was like devastating to like little Rachel. Did any of your teachers in your younger elementary years have like a system of like discipline 
like for instance, mine in like first or second grade, we had a traffic light and there oh, were clothespins like with green light, yellow light, red light. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you would start off every day with your clothespin on green light. But then like, I remember when I got in trouble for like talking to a classmate and I'd already like finished my work. Cause yeah. that was, that was probably that was, why I was, was such probably, a shatter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was because I would finish so early and then just be sitting there. Yeah. And so she put me on the yellow light and I was just like, oh my. I can see my life flashing before my eyes because if I get onto that red light, that means that there's a note sent home to my parents. You're like, it's all over. And and then, then I'm, yeah. May as well go to jail. Exactly. I'm going to have to drop out of school, change my name. Yeah. Yeah. Like those things were devastating as a kid. Mm -hmm. Or it's like little things like if you did really well, but like you didn't feel like you got enough, enough like acknowledgement for it, feeling somehow like slighted, slighted, like, oh man, but I got an A. Why didn't I get the nicest sticker on my paper when my right. friend got a lower grade, but they got blah, blah, blah. Like all these silly little things that there's, mean so much yeah. to you. There's so much about looking back as an adult where you have a different perspective and you realize oh, things for like, sure, yeah. yeah, this other student that got the same grade as me did deserve more praise because they've been struggling all year and right. I didn't even have to study for this test, right. you know, things like that. But for me as a kid, it's like, but I didn't even have to study for this test. Right. So I got a 98 and they only got a 95. So right. yeah. I should have gotten the cooler sticker. God, kids are so <laughs> petty. I know. <laughs> We're so petty. We're not like that now. No. <laughs> we don't <laughs> arbitrarily grade other people's work. And <laughs> no, we don't pass judgment on things. Absolutely mm. not. Nope. All right. So she went on. I almost said Ramona. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ramona is in a large part based off of a lot of her experiences. Yeah, we're going to talk. Yeah. Beverly Cleary, however, went on to um, college at UC Berkeley. Okay. In the 1930s. She earned her bachelor's in English. Then she went to the University of Washington and got a bachelor's in library science. Love that. Isn't that nice? In between those, she met her husband, Clarence. Clarence Cleary. Clarence Cleary. You know that he also looks like a Norman Rockwell painting. Oh, must have been. Yeah. And they got married. And they were married until his death. Oh, so sweet. After she got her two bachelor's degrees, she worked as a librarian. That makes a lot of sense because not just from the perspective of her loving books and being an author, but the McMinnville Library actually has uh, an addition built onto the back. It's this old building. They have an addition built onto the back that is a Beverly Cleary Museum. Um, well, and then there's like a memorial garden back behind it. Yeah, that's really interesting because there wasn't a library when she was growing up. Really? Mm-hmm. Which probably explained why she had a little bit of a delay with her reading ability. Yeah. That she probably just didn't have enough exposure to books. And if both of her parents were working mm-hmm. full time as well. Yeah. But yeah, there are a lot of things dedicated to her, which I really love. Um, Did you go to the library a lot when you were a kid? Oh, yes, for sure. I would go... Um, I can't remember if it was once a week or once every two weeks. My mom would take me and my two siblings. And I always hated it because, not hated the library, mm. but I hated the fact that they had a limit to the number yeah, of books. Yeah, that's like the limit. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to plow through this in the night. And Come it was, on. And it was so crazy because it, it was like 10 books or something. Yeah. So I would get like 10 children's novels. Yeah. And just, yeah. So my mom started this system where for like extra chores, I could have space on her book limits. Oh, nice. Yeah. So really clever on her part. Um, <laughs> but I did it. I would, I would oh, yeah, bet try and you, get like. I bet you slept those floors. And... I did. I did. So I could go and get my Dinotopia books. And... <laughs> <laughs> 
Did you ever have the Scholastic Book Fairs? Yes. And we were yes. very poor. And so it was always very disappointing because I was never able to really do what I wanted mm -hmm. um, there. But so I went to a private Christian school at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was actually kind of nice because they did have a program with our tuition where every student would get at least one book. That's very nice. And that yeah. was nice because there were a lot of poor children in And in you don't class. want to be the one kid who doesn't get a, a book. book. I a know. Book. That's why I love Dolly Parton oh, and I her know. program. Oh, I know. Literacy is just like so incredibly important, especially at a young age yeah. too. Well, it was such an escape for me, I think, yeah. as a child too. You know, yeah. I had a lot going on and wasn't really in the best circumstances. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I became to love books so much was that I could just lose myself in one for hours, hours. Oh, and yeah. just be completely unaware of my surroundings. Oh yeah, agreed. Like sometimes I wish that as an adult, I could go back to that way of reading as a child. I've lost that since college. Yeah. Yeah, same. And I hate that because I'm not the same kind of reader that yeah. I used to be when I was younger. I still love books, but it's such sure. a different experience. Yes, yeah. it's, it's I different. Yeah. I don't ever read with the same, I guess, veracity that I did yeah. then. And it's very rare that I have an experience where I finish a book and feel a sense of like, loss yeah. yeah you know where you almost just want to start it all over again oh i would definitely do that too. i used yeah. to reread books all the time my parents would be like you've read that like five times and i'm like, I'm, like I'm not done with it right i know <laughs> i need that feeling still it, oh my god it's it really is kind of like a drug it kind of <laughs> is chasing yeah. that high oh no that book high i mean there are worse highs. There, that's very true. She worked as a librarian for a while in Washington. Then she and her husband moved to California where they lived for basically the rest of their lives. Okay. In uh, Carmel-by-the-Sea. Oh, my God. I know, right? I bet because back then it was probably super cheap to live there. Whereas now it's like... It's super... Well, this was like right after World War II. Yeah. So things in the U.S. were very different economic... Well, in a lot of ways, but specifically yeah. like economically, like... They probably, middle class people could afford things that middle class people today cannot. I'm sure that they bought a like newly constructed house. Sure. Like two or three bedroom, like 1,400 square feet. Yeah. And I'm sure that they lived in that house to the end. Yeah. I'm and sure now that house that they paid like $5,000 for is like... Probably like two, three million. Yeah. <laughs> Just because if you've never been to Carmel-by-the-Sea, it's a very pretty place and very expensive i've never been there but i have online real estate window shops yes there because it's there the houses are beautiful didn't betty white have a house there that was really really pretty it sold I, recently i want to say I feel like that's right it was either there or no it wasn't it wasn't santa monica Anyway, it was somewhere in that Santa region. Santa Monica is very different. Like, Carmel-by-the-Sea is more toward, like, the Northern California right. side. It's obviously by the sea, so you get that really gorgeous, like, Pacific Coast Highway kind of vibe where you have, like, the cliffs and the water coming in. And it's very, very lush and rocky. It is. It almost looks like the Irish coast to me. It the does, that yeah. I've seen of the Irish coast, mm -hmm. yeah. I drove through there once um, on a road trip from San Francisco to L.A., I've and always wanted to take so that It was so pretty. Route. I stopped there, but I was also like, I'm way too poor to be in this I place. I know. I've always wanted to it's like I don't fit in. go back to LA and rent a car and drive up the coast and stop in like San Francisco in wine country. Oh, 
I want to okay. go up to Portland and okay. then finish out and like fly out of Seattle. I Let's, think that would okay. be such a fun road so trip. So you all fund this and we will film it the whole time. We will. We will film it and Louise the shit out of that road trip. Oh, I said we will film it, but we could film it and Louise it if we're ready to go. Yeah. We're ready to go. Let's do it. <laughs> Put all of our money into this road trip and then just drive off a cliff. I mean, Stop when it's that. my time. It's my time to drive off a cliff. <laughs> Yeah, so she worked as a children's librarian for a while. She published her, um, oh, I forgot to say, before she started publishing books. She and her husband had two um, kids. They had twins named Malcolm and Marion. Oh. Wasn't that cute? I wonder what they're up to now. I don't know. I mean, they're older now. Yeah. They're they born in 55. Oh, yeah. yeah. But can you imagine? Your mom is Beverly Clary. Or your grandma. <gasps> oh, the best. I feel so dissatisfied with my relatives right now. <laughs> Do you think that Beverly Cleary knew Betty White? Maybe they ran in the same circles because they weren't that far apart in age, honestly. Mm, no. And Beverly's if they both lived in older. Carmel. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, I was about to say, I forgot Betty White didn't have kids, but she if she did. Oh, well, then maybe she, maybe she took them to Beverly Cleary's library where she was the children's librarian. Maybe. Oh, I hope so. I'm writing an entire, like... Fanfic a really in my sweet life. fanfic where yes. they're just like buddies. Yes, they have like potlucks together. <gasps> and that like little 1950s, 60s like Tupperware yes. containers. Betty White like sent her a baby shower gift with like a handwritten <gasps> note. Oh, I love that. Let's make that happen. I In my head, that's exactly what went down. And nobody correct us. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> no, but like for... For two such wholesome people to live in the same area, they had to have known each other. That's because just Carmel the law by of the physics. Sea is a smaller town. It's it not a, a big town, town by yeah. any means. There are there are only like three people. Okay, and this two is... of them were Beverly Cleary and Betty White. <laughs> Betty White, and the other one was Clarence Cleary. Don't you love that name, Clarence, Clarence Cleary? Cleary? I love it. Or or do you think that the wholesomeness is an act, and they were <gasps> actually secret swingers, and they would do like Topher! husband swaps? No. That was in the book, Ramona Sees Too Much. (laughs) (laughs) Ramona and her dad and her dad's friend. Mm. So she published her first book, Henry Huggins, in Mm -hmm. 1950. I didn't know that was her first, but I I read that as a kid. Yeah, that was her first book in 1950 about um, this boy named Henry and his dog, Ribsy. I loved Ribsy. There was a book just about Ribsy, too. Well, do you know what Ribsy's original name was in the first draft of this book? Mm, Spare Ribsy. Yes, it was just Spare Ribs. Oh, my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, congrats. Take a sip for that. Thank you. That was a total guess. Cross-examination, but yeah. I was like, oh, that's really cute. And the publisher was like, mm, maybe change it. So Henry, this character Henry, is friends with Beezus and Ramona. And Beezus obviously his is... His older sister. And she's Beatrice, but they call her Beezus because Ramona couldn't, couldn't say, say Beatrice. Which I loved because my younger sibling couldn't uh-huh. say my full name, which is why my name is Topher. Oh, so I love that. I felt like me and Ramona like had a lot of things in common and with our families and stuff. Also... I don't know if you did this, but sometimes I'd be reading certain works of fiction, mm-hmm. and if they wouldn't specifically describe the physical characteristic of the parents, uh-huh. they were my parents. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely did that. Yeah, I love the nickname th- thing. Oh, boy, this wine's getting me. <laughs> I love the nickname thing, too, because when my brother was little, he couldn't say Rachel. He would make R's into W sounds, and he was a little self-conscious about it. So he started calling me Sissy for sister. Or was he just calling you out as being a sissy? No, because he couldn't Ye- say yellow R. Yellow-livered. 
He can <laughs> yellow, yellow, li- yellow liver. Wait. Is it lily livered? Yes. Yellow, yellow belly. Yes. There you go. This sounds like an actor's. Uh, go ahead and insult me whenever you want. Ah, <laughs> uh, that backfired. Yes. Yeah. So take that different. No, because my, my little brother couldn't say R's and L, so he called me Rachel. Rachel. So the being, and I think like our family was all like, "Ha ha, that's so cute," and he got a little embarrassed oh, by it. Because again, kids take things to heart. They do. Then he started calling me sissy for a sister. And every oh, now God. and then he'll do it, like when he's feeling kind of like kind of sweet and like nostalgic. I'm like, oh, that's nice. So my other family nickname that like even my relatives mm-hmm. would call me was just Furfur. Furfur. Yeah, and I think it's because I I don't remember if it was me mm-hmm. that started that. Like as a very young child, when people would ask me, like I'm talking like two years old. Yeah. I know at a certain point I started calling myself Tiffifer. Tiffifer. Yeah. I do like Tiffifer. Yeah. It's like a fancy. But they started calling me Furfur, and mm. that lasted into my adulthood. Like, I obviously don't have a relationship with any of my relatives anymore, right. other than my siblings. But yeah, they would still call me Furfur or Furf for short. Furf? Yeah. Like you're a Nerf gun. Like. Or a Smurf. Off brown. Yeah. Like off brand. Off like, brand. Oh, no, not the off brand. Not the dollar store. You're Nerf the dollar brand. store Nerf. Oh, no, Furf. Furf. Get your first ball. Oh, no. <laughs> one time my, we'll get back to Beverly clearly. Oh, no. Dang it, this wine. Beverly clearly. Clearly. One time my grandmother, I was in high school at this point. She was like 15 or 16. She sent a birthday card, but she crossed the L on my name. So it was Ratchet instead of Rachel. <laughs> Why did she do that? I think she just like wasn't really paying attention when she signed it. And you know, too, because I was an old lady, like she has that very like fancy like yeah, cursive handwriting. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. It's like, oh, I had to write like very properly. And so I think she just kind of automatically like crossed the L and made it into a T. That's so funny. But my dad will still sometimes call me Ratchet. <laughs> Nurse Ratchet. I was like, hey, Ratchet. I'm like, dad, dang it. <laughs> Girl, you Ratchet. Oh, no. All right. So. The Henry Huggins books, like, really got her going. Did you know that the Beezus and Ramona characters were added in? No. To Henry Huggins? They were in her first draft that she sent to the publisher. Imagine a world without Beezus and Ramona. I know. They were kind of, like, thrown in as, like, an afterthought. Yeah, because they're not really central to the plot of that book at all. I do remember that. No, because she sent that in the publisher, and they are like, well, we think you need to make some changes. So they rejected that draft, and then she made those changes. And then it was accepted and published. In my head growing up, I guess I always just assumed that Ramona and Beezus came first. And that was like the series for girls, even though I loved That's, it. Yeah. And then like the Henry Huggins was the series for boys, which obviously isn't it's true. Isn't true, yeah. yeah. But I was always drawn to like girl literature anyway. Fair. Well, that's a fair point. But I also think too, like the stuff she writes about is not really specific to a particular gender. It's like she, universal childhood experience. And she captures childhood yes with so much accuracy i mean it holds up it's crazy to me how well she was able to remember what it was like to be that person Mm -hmm. and she does it so masterfully for a number of age ranges as you watch and grow up with ramona and that to me is a really incredible talent Yeah. yeah Because a lot of times kids' books will either like really infantilize children or make them super precocious mm-hmm. where you're like, no child talks like that. Come yeah. on. It's the way that she got into Ramona's mind yes. and made you feel like 
you were right there with her and you yeah. felt every injustice. Oh, yeah. It was so, so good. I actually, I really want to go to the library now. <laughs> well, I kind of thought about doing that and then I just didn't because I'm lazy. But I was listening to the audio version of um, Ramona Quimby, age eight, this morning. Oh, nice. I was like writing down my notes for today. I bet that's fun. It was really cute. Like, like you were saying, like those little things that like as a kid, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember feeling that way or thinking that way. Yeah. Whereas an adult, you're like, what's the big deal? Like you lost your eraser. Who gives a shit? Like, right. Big deal. But it was her favorite eraser. Yeah. And it was like her dad gave it to her that morning and he was going back to school and the family didn't have a lot of money. And it was perfectly pink. Yeah. It was like brand new. Yeah. It was like all that stuff where as a kid you're like I'd forgotten about that it's funny how it just comes rushing Mm -hmm. back to me the way that she writes it it's so funny now as an adult to look back I feel like these things that happen in these books are like memories of mine well yeah and I think that's what makes them so enduring as like really popular books is because they lasted so long and they were really timeless in a way Mm -hmm. too where they weren't Obviously, she wrote the books over decades, and like right. so, some things are maybe a little more tied to certain time periods than others. But she doesn't really, she but doesn't not really that, do that feeling. Yeah, the feelings aren't. Maybe some of the smaller details are where you're like, oh, okay, like that couldn't exist today, whereas that could thing could exist. In there the are the certain 60s. things like like you know being like a. <laughs> That's right, Topher. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but uh, there are certain things like being a latch kid key. Yeah. Let's key key kid. kid. Yep. What is going on with this wine right now? <laughs> Let's fill up. <laughs> but other than that, like I was a latchkey kid. Were you? Oh yeah. My parents didn't trust me alone. I might escape. No, after my parents divorced when I was nine, my grandmother lived. They with decided us. they couldn't be bothered to take care of you like, anymore. Enough of her. No, my parents divorced, and then my grandmother, who lived with us, she got lung cancer. Oh wow. So she couldn't really take care of us. So basically from like 10 onwards, I was coming home and taking care of the household with my little brother. And that was basically it until my mom got home later on from work. That's interesting. Yeah. Explains a lot about me, huh? (laughs) You bossy bitch. I mean, that's probably a lot of it, yeah. (laughs) Not just who I am as a person. Didn't you want to kill your little brother during that time period as well? Probably, yeah. Oh, I would get mad because he was allowed to, like, leave the house and, like, go to his friends' houses. But I couldn't leave the house once I got home because I had to be there in case he came home early. And I had to, like, take care of him in some way. Oh, yeah. Because he was, like, six. So it was, like, understandable. I definitely remember growing up having younger siblings that were so much younger than me and Mm -hmm. having so much responsibility put on me that I didn't ask for. Oh, yeah. You're like, this isn't fair. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Like, yeah. It's so funny how, like, I mean, there was a period I don't, I didn't actually resent them. No, but I, but I did carry some resentment that obviously I got over. And we're yeah. like super, super close now. Yeah. But like at the time, the injustice of it all. Well, because it, you may not have resented your sibling, but it was the situation that yeah. you felt was really. Unfair. I think I more resented my parents, but it was just mm-hmm. a little bit misplaced in the direction sure. of my siblings yeah. at the time. Because I definitely still resent my parents. But that's a story for another day. That's, yeah, for different reasons. <laughs> different and similar. How full are you in your wine? Pretty full, I'm right? Pretty full, yeah. That's... Before we cross-examine, though, do you okay. want to talk a little bit? Okay, you don't have to hear about my experiences that are extremely fascinating. Good. Let's go. <laughs> Just kidding. Tell me more. So I, like I said, worked at this winery. I'm actually really curious to hear about this. Yeah? What do you want to hear about? All of it. Okay. So I flew out on a... I don't need to know that. Okay. Fast forward. Let's do like a little montage. So 
basically the way that it worked was my employer at the time had a relationship or has a relationship with this family, which Mm -hmm. the wife of Rob, uh, who is the R of R. Stewart, Mm -hmm. she has recently passed away due to brain cancer. So that's really sad. And she was a wonderful, wonderful woman. But my boss knew that family. And Mm -hmm. so they arranged for me to be able to fly out there. And basically I worked for a few weeks for free in exchange for my room and board. Mm -hmm. And I was warned before I went out that it's going to be really, really hard work, but really, really rewarding. And oh my God, it was so hard. It is the most backbreaking work. So the way that this particular winery functions, and it's actually the way a lot of wineries Mm -hmm. in McMinnville function, is that they don't own their own vineyards. They have relationships with farmers because it's a very agricultural area. Uh-huh. That makes as sense. we discussed yeah. before with Beverly's father. And so our steward, Rob, he has several uh, vineyards that he has relationships with. And it's great because, uh, you know, when I was mentioning, he's got the, the higher tiered Pinot Noirs. Mm-hmm. So he'll do single vineyard bottles of all of those different vineyards to feature them and it's Mm. crazy how different they all are Mm. because of their geographical location even though they're all within the same area and Mm -hmm. it only takes you know 15 to 20 minutes to get to each one some of them are on the side of like a slope of a mountain and so they ripen at a different pace than Mm -hmm. the ones that are over here in this like flatland versus the ones that are in the dip of this valley Mm. and getting up in the early morning with him and driving out to some of these different vineyards to Uh have him like check and see if it was time yet was really really cool and there was one vineyard in particular that i really really enjoyed walking around with him and hearing him talk because it was on the side of a mountain Mm -hmm. and they had already harvested half of the vineyard like a couple weeks prior to that Oh, interesting. But the other part of it, because of the slope, didn't get the same yeah. sun conditions. Oh, and so it ripened more slowly. Okay. And so I think that that particular part hadn't even finished being harvested by the time that I left a couple of weeks wow. later. Yeah. But they would bring in, when I say tons, I mean like sometimes between 20 to 40 tons of grapes a day. That so we you be... literally mean tons. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Like 80,000 pounds of wow. okay. grapes. And we would have to process those. So a lot of the times there was this giant machine and you Mm -hmm. would climb up to the top of it and it had this like turbine kind of situation that's like rolling the grapes Mm -hmm. as you're like basically raking them in. Somebody's got a um, like a forklift and you're kind of like slowly trying to rake all of the bunches of grapes uh in and that's destimming them. So you're separating the fruit. Yeah. And you've got like a thing underneath that is catching all of the the grapes themselves mm. and then it's spewing out the uh seeds and the stems and uh-huh. the leaves and all that so sometimes i would have to be up on the top of the machine doing the raking which was oh my god because those things are heavy like the the grapes they're all clustered together yeah, they're heavy it, yeah it is hard after like two minutes you're like oh my god every like, i'm muscle- done yeah great time or I'd be on the the floor, basically as it's spitting out all of the stems and, and mm-hmm. junk and stuff, having to rake it into these other bins to keep it out of the way, to keep it from amassing mm. up. Because you're, like I said, going through literal one ton, one to two tons at a time yeah. of grapes. Did you ever get nervous about falling in? 
No, you couldn't. You couldn't fall in. Okay, there that were like, would be my fear. Yeah, the way that it was situated, there wasn't a danger of of falling in. There was so like a no destemming for humans. No. Okay, but I did get nervous sometimes. I had to climb up basically two stories to this platform where there were the giant vats of mm. grape juice, and that's like the grapes that are being done for this. Uh huh. Because they had smaller areas for like the individual vineyards that they were doing their like special mm, batches okay. mm-hmm. but then they had i want to say three really huge two-story vats and so twice a day i would have to do this thing where you would plug in a giant hose and i would climb up and basically what it would be doing is rotating so you'd be taking all the juice that's fermenting at the bottom mm-hmm. and putting it up at the top and that way it's all fermenting okay. at the same rate but there i did like sometimes think oh my god if i fell into this First of all, I would get knocked out immediately by all the CO2 that's oh, coming yeah, up uh-huh. and getting exposed. And then I would just drown. Has, and then, has that happened to people before? I'm sure it probably has. <gasps> Not at this vineyard. Okay. Um, okay. But just over the course of history, yes, I'm sure it has. Oh, when I, oh yeah. One of my other jobs was to do um, twice a day this thing called punch downs. Mm. And it's where you have this giant... It kind of looks like a toilet plunger. Okay. Um, but it's really big. And you have to like climb up on this step ladder because again, they've got these giant bins mm-hmm. of tons of fermenting grapes. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to essentially punch down. And it's doing the same thing uh-huh. as those giant vats, but by hand. And me being a small person. Yes. It was very difficult for me to get the leverage that I needed, especially as I'm like trying to reach towards the back of that thing. Yeah. So I found after like the first few days, the easiest way to do it would just be climb up on top of the (gasps) bin and straddle it, like put a foot on each edge and use my whole body weight. And they told me the last day that I was there, they were like, yeah, we were really impressed that you were able to do that and that you never passed out and fell into it because you were putting a lot of CO2 up in the air while oh, you were doing no. it. I'm like, you wait till the last day to tell me that? And they were getting freely bratty as that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a really, really amazing time. And I had already been studying wine academically right. for a long time. I already had my sommelier certification and all of that. So to do this behind the scenes thing where I got to see all the labor that goes into it both physical and mental because like i said it's backbreaking yeah. work but also rob is a genius the the work that he does in his head as he calculates what he needs to be doing mm. to each vat to knowing when to harvest like all of these things and the nerves of steel that you have to have for that mm-hmm. knowing that if something goes wrong if there's some condition that happens that you didn't account like for, that's, it's over. You've lost an entire vintage. Yeah. That's devastating yeah. to a small, and this is a small family owned and operated. So it was me as the only intern mm-hmm. until we had some of his other friends come towards the, the later part of it. Uh, so it was just me, two paid employees, one of whom was like 19, the other one was like 21. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, if you're 30 like I was at the time, <laughs> don't try and keep up with them. Just, you just not, do what you happen. can do. You do the best you can. So it was them and then the winery manager and Rob. And that was it. That's a really small Working operation. For doing processing 20 tons of grapes a day. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. But then it was great because at the end of it, at the end of each day, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'd work for like 12 hours and then we would go back to Rob's house and Maria, his wife, would have cooked a fantastic meal. We would 
get out wine and pass it around and be tasting different vintages and talking about what he wants to do for this new upcoming vintage that we're working on. Yeah. It was just a really, really fun camaraderie. Mm -hmm. um, I have, like I said, so much respect for him and his family. And I got to learn a lot about kind of that area too. First of all, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's probably the most beautiful place I've ever been in the mm. U.S. And it was autumn. So perfect. Like, yeah. Yeah. You could not. We had this weather head. discussion earlier. Yes. Today. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, you couldn't turn your head and find an ugly view. Mm -hmm. Like every vista was prettier than the last. But I did learn something from the locals <gasps> about kind of the secret history of McMinnville. <gasps> Tell us. So as you know, the Pacific West has a history of during a certain time exploiting cheap labor from what? Asian people. What? No Particularly way. Chinese yes. immigrants. Yeah. And Oregon is no different. Mm -hmm. And so there was at one point, being so close to Portland especially, there was a, a pretty decent Asian population, Chinese population within mm -hmm. McMinnville, especially as you can imagine being an agricultural area. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of racist laws in place at the time that imposed things like curfews, mm -hmm. uh, Asian immigrants were not allowed to be seen in public after dark, things like that, mm -hmm. that they were using to control these people. And so there came a time where there was a thriving underground Chinatown where like you can still go and see how they shoveled, like hand shoveled out basements in the dirt underneath. Literally these, underground. Yeah, underground. And they have tunnels connecting them. And so they would have like their Asian market, their places for like a nightclub, a bar, oh, cool. gambling, things like that, mm -hmm. that are connected by these tunnels underneath downtown McMinnville. That's and it really was, cool. It that was their way. There. Yeah, it was their way of still getting to have a social life. Right. But abide by the, the racist laws that were happening. Right. Not cool that people had to resort to that, but cool that that has still been preserved. Yeah, yeah. You can still go down and see some of the spaces. And there are a lot of people who have tried to kind of, I would say, whitewash it by saying, no, it's not accurate to say that this was because of these laws and racism and blah, blah, blah. It was just a way to get around like prohibition laws and things like that. And I'm like, <laughs> I think that it's probably a healthy dose of both, but one of them was definitely the catalyst for this sure. existing in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Because it wasn't like white people didn't go down there, at least not for a while. Well, and Oregon itself has a very racist history, like as a state being founded for white people. Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't want anybody wrong. of color, so we're going to make a white state. Is and there a state in the U.S. that's not founded on racism? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. But no, Oregon was specifically founded yeah. as its own territory state only for white people. Really? Yeah, completely ignoring um, native populations of people who had been there, you know, for thousands of years. Where did they end up going? Um, some people were kind of assimilated as or forced to assimilate. Let's be real about that. But some people, too, were just kind of dislocated, like, your yeah. problem. I know that Oregon is one of the states that has a lot of tragic an infuriating history with the like Catholic church having the schools for indigenous children mm -hmm. where there was a lot of genocide and covering up of death. Yeah, I think like, like pretty much anywhere you go, basically like west of the Mississippi, really, like you start to get into that yeah. history. Manifest um, destiny. 
Woo, right? But Oregon, too, is still very, very white today. Yeah. And even though we tend to think of Portland as a very liberal city, and it is in a lot of ways. It's not as diverse. As, it's not uh, very diverse. That, yeah. that was definitely something that was jarring to me as a citizen of the South, and particularly Atlanta, when I went out there and looking around. Because so they gave me a lot of freedom, too. Yeah. So I would have days where they'd be like, just go explore the town. Like, go and visit the, the other wineries. And that's another thing. Just a quick segue that I really respect about that area is that the wine people are all supporting each other. That's really cool. Yeah. There's not like a competition. We even, yeah. the first Sunday that I was there, they had a giant cookout and it was a paella thing. Oh, and so cool. like everyone brought like a giant thing of paella and they, they were just passing around even like unmarked bottles of wine that are like, oh, we haven't even put the label on this yet, but here, try it. And yeah. It was just so much fun. That's cool. Yeah. But it was very strange to me walking around and going to these events, going to the farmer's market that happens every Thursday afternoon where they shut down Main Street and it's just stalls with farmers selling yeah. their produce and not seeing a single black person anywhere. Yep. It was really, yep. really weird. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny. I was funny. like, what did you do with all of them? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny too, because like you said, like we live in Atlanta, we live in the South. People have this perception of the South as being very racist. And it is in a lot of in ways. Lot of in a lot of ways, it really is. But there's also this incredible diversity in the South mm-hmm. that people who are more liberal on maybe, you know, the West Coast or Northeast, Northwest, don't necessarily know about. Yeah. And this kind of, well, just a little tangent. Like, it reminds me of the conversation I had with my cousin who lives in San Francisco, who's like, oh, I'd never move to... Atlanta or the South, like, oh, I just couldn't live there, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, yeah, there are obviously major issues here. I was like, but it's very diverse. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not just a lot of white people, which kind of is his world that he lives in in San Francisco. Well, and it's it's interesting to note, too, that I think white people being white people. Yeah. uh, The racism, it it just simply shifts to a different minority group depending on Mm -hmm. where you are geographically because of who was more readily available to be oppressed. So, you know, in Los Angeles, you're going to have a lot more in terms of a history of oppression of Hispanics. And there's a lot of still systemic racism focused on them. If you're in Portland, I'm sure that there's a lot more, and even San Francisco, I'm sure there's a lot more in the way of towards Asian people. Oh, for sure. Because of the immigrant population that came there. So... It's always funny to me when people talk about how racist the South is, and I say that in quotation marks, because we are racist, sure, 100%. That, that history but, is very so much alive. Yeah, in the South. Like, that's but true in a lot of ways. The absence of black people to be racist against in your part of the country right. does not mean that you are not dealing with your own racism against other minorities. Very true. And it also discounts, too, the diversity in the South, Atlanta in particular. Yeah. There's and Atlanta's a large, not really the South. Well, yeah, it's very different. But Atlanta has a very large black population, yeah. a very large Latinx population, mm-hmm. Asian population. A huge immigrant population. Huge immigrant too. population. There's a lot of refugees that have yeah, moved to Atlanta. So yeah. So it's interesting how people sometimes ignore their own histories and put mm-hmm. blame for negative things more on other yeah. areas when like, no, you need to examine yourself. I'm like, Yeah, examine yourself your town and, and also your area. you're missing out on a fantastic food scene because those refugees brought their culture with them. So But don't move to Atlanta because housing's insane right now. Also we're full. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, that's basically all I wanted to say about that. If you have any other questions, yeah. feel free to ask me. But uh, basically, Rob, I love you and respect the hell out of you. 
And I'm so happy that I'm drinking your wine right now. Yeah, and if you want us to come out there, we'll gladly do that. Just pay for our airfare. Thanks. Honestly, Thanks. their rule is that if you've helped out in the vineyard, you get, or in the winery, not the vineyard, you get to join the family dinner. And so I've told Fact Checker before, if we ever get to go out to that part of the country again, I want to spend a few days in McMinnville. And one of them, I want to be volunteering at the winery and then take now can the i volunteer like at the store just like ringing people up they actually, i don't want to do the hard labor they do have a tasting room okay i will do that i did a day in the tasting room and it was really fun got to work with one of their employees she's the manager there and i got to let her wear one of my necklaces and it was really great oh <laughs> so a special like inside connection now. yeah yeah nice. And then there was like a really, really cute, like either ice cream or gelato place around the corner. And mm. so like on our break, I went to go and like get us both gelato and brought it back. And then we just like gossiped. It was really fun. Fun. Yeah. It was a very, very wonderful experience. As difficult as it was, yes. I learned so much. So now I'm going to get to guzzle more of this wine because we are cross-examining. Are you ready? As I ever do will be. Do you need to do anything to prepare yourself? I think I'm good. Okay. While we're getting in the spirit of Beverly Cleary and Ramona Quimby, tell us about your outfit. So I stole from Fact Checker's Closet. Perfect. I figured. This like 1980s thrift store shirt. Yes. That's uh, actually reminds me a lot of a shirt that I had when I was four years old that I used yes. to wear as a mm -hmm. smock to finger paint in, mm -hmm. except that it had purple buttons on it. Mm. This one has white buttons. But it's just like a little striped blue, red, and white oversized smocky kind of shirt it's very like preppy early 90s american vibe yeah and what but am i oversized oversized yeah. yeah what am i wearing today Trevor? you are wearing nipple pasties as always <laughs> no you're wearing overalls yes i and am they're adorable thank you you have a boob pocket i i do have a boob pocket it's do like you have side pockets too i do and back pockets are they real pockets they're or are they real lady po pockets no they're real pockets nice. they're not lady pockets do you know how the lady pockets like what am i oh, supposed I know. to put i'm in a this? lady i know and as somebody, as a, as a not lady who wears lady pants. You get to deal with the pain of lady pockets. Yeah. It's like fake you out half the time. I just gave in a few years ago and started carrying a purse around with me, honestly. Honestly, you have to. Yeah. But yeah, I'm wearing overalls. So we're both kind of channeling our Ramona Quimby-ist vibes. Yep. Okay. I like too that we both went for kind of like a aged four to five Ramona Quimby. Yes. We sure did. Yeah. Okay. So our quiz today... We'll be over both Beverly Clear. Oh no, Topher. <laughs> Beverly. Back it up. Beverly Cleary. I want to make her last name clearly. I know you do. You I want to. So really want to do it. Beverly Cleary and Ramona Quimby. Okay, it's true false. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Are you prepared? Yes. I have no mercy for you. <laughs> oh no. Okay, we have eight questions. I'll let you pick. One. Okay. Beverly Cleary worked on the Leave It to Beaver franchise. True or false? Oh, it's another very wholesome show. Yes. She was a librarian, though. Yeah. And Carmel, I'm going to say false. You're wrong. Take a drink. <gasps> really? Yeah. Was she a writer for them? No, she did not write for the show, but she was contacted about writing two books about beaver and his friends so she did wow and they were massively successful i've never even heard of these she said she left off basically the character of the dad from the books and just kind of focused on the kids yeah well that's Makes that's sense. her wheelhouse yeah. yeah all right next number eight okay 
the character of Ramona Quimby, part of her personality was inspired by a girl that Beverly clearly encountered when she Who? was, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to call her Bev. Bev. Give you that. Bev, Bev encountered when she was a kid. And this girl was, quote, like selling mud pies on the side of the road. And she was like, oh, that would make a good character. True or false? I know that Ramona was partly based off of herself. Mm-hmm. And I know that Ramona does in one of the books, I think it's Beezus and her sister, mm-hmm. sell mud pies on the side of the road with mm-hmm. her friend, Howie. Yeah, Howie Kemp is her friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she also has a friend named Tavy. Maybe. I think you're trying to get me on this one. I'm going to okay. say false. You're right. False. Uh, yes. um, the real story is better. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, take a drink in okay. celebration. Celebratory step. Yeah, when Beverly Cleary sat down to write and was kind of figuring out who she wanted Ramona to be, she recalled a memory from childhood where she saw this little girl walking home from the store just eating a giant brick of butter. Because <laughs> like at the time, like butter wasn't like sold in like sticks or pounds, right, just right, like a big right. chunk of butter. <laughs> I guess that really stuck with her. And she's like, that's so damn that, that kid I knew what done. she was all about. Hell yeah. I loved sneaking, like, you know how, you know, you'd have Sunday dinner and your mom would have like the butter tray. Uh-huh. And I loved when she wasn't looking to just like grab some and yeah. eat it right off the knife. Yeah. I just have like this perfect image of like this little kid in like the 1920s just like pulling out a giant thing of butter Chubby and just cheeks. like chomping on it. Yes. <laughs> like you have like the teeth Braids. marks and the breader yeah. and the oh boy. <laughs> In the butter. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with three. Three. Okay. Beverly and her husband, Clarence, had to elope because Clarence was Catholic and her parents did not approve. True or false? Ooh, true. Yes, true. Her parents were Presbyterian. And even though I don't think she herself was very religious, her Uh parents were not approving of her marrying a Catholic. So they're like, fuck it, we're going to do it. They married in 1940. Wow. They were married until they died. There's a lot of a lot of hate against Catholics during that time, too. Oh, for sure, so yeah. So you tell your cousin to go fuck themselves. No, he's a nice person. <laughs> Sounds like he's racist. Oh, no. Okay, next number. Uh, let's go with six. Okay, I have to count. One, two, three. <laughs> Did you not number them? Nope. I always forget to. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So even though in her books, Bev included a lot of like household pets Mm. in real life, she really did not like pets. Oh, no. True or false? Oh, no. Well, that's going to be a big factor in her friendship with Betty White. Okay. It will be. I'm so afraid it's going to be true. What are you going to say, though? I have to say false because that's what I want it to be. But I know you're going to say true. Are you sticking with false? I am going to stick with false. Congrats. Celebratory oh sip. Yes. Thank God. No, that's all made up. That was about to ruin our fantasy of Betty White and Beverly Cleary having this like really close friendship. Betty and Bev. Betty and Bev. Oh, <gasps> we're writing that book. We are trademark. Trademark. And the sitcom. Yes. No, she, she loved cats. She had lots of cats throughout her whole life. She even wrote a book about a cat called Socks. Yes. And I remember Bill, that. And Bill Clinton named his cat in the White House. Socks after that book. How fun. Which I never realized like that was the same thing. I didn't either. Yeah. That's great. Well, and do you remember the cat in 
Ramona and Beezus. What was his name? Picky Picky. Picky Picky. That's right. Yeah. And then there's that horror. Yes. yes. You remember that? And they're alone in the house together, and they yeah. have to go and give him a funeral in a shoebox, and they bury so him in the backyard. But that's so real for kids, like dealing with so like a childhood real. pet stuff. And then when the parents come home, they like have this really wholesome moment where the parents are like, "We're so proud of you for yes. how mature you were and dealing with." this traumatic yeah. thing that happens. Like they didn't wait for their parents or anything, which yeah. I would have. I would have been like, I'm not touching this dead. No, I would just call my mom at work like, you have to come home right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next number. Um, I just did six, so let's go with two. All right. Bev was a mom to twins. She was working as a librarian. So she said that the only place she could go to write and to get out of the house really and kind of like clear her mind was the local park. True or false? Hmm. So she would just leave her children alone? Because husbands can take care of children in well, the 1950s. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> also, husband wouldn't be home. He'd be he'd be out working. What did Clarence do? I don't know, actually. That's a good question. Nothing ever said, like, what he did. He was just, like, the husband of Beverly Cleary. Would it be so wholesome if he was the homemaker? <gasps> oh, I would have loved that. Yeah. Which would really shoot down your thing there. I'm going to say true, though. False. <gasps> It is because he's the homemaker. Wrong. Take a sip. No, I really don't know what he did. But she would write and bake bread at the same time. She would say, like, she would kind of do this in parts. Because she had to, like, do stuff and, like, let bread sit for a little bit and then go back. Which I don't. I've never successfully made bread. So I, I don't have. really know. I know you have. Yeah, it's called proofing. You have to let it proof. <sighs> like proofreading? I know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm loving about this? Yeah. Is that she grew up in a time when it was expected that women be domestic, yeah. that they do things like bake bread, that they do things like have their husband's twins and take care of them. And what I'm loving about this is that she also, at the same time, has this passion for books and for writing and for sharing the experiences of children. Yeah. And so she did both. She and did she both. loved yeah. both aspects of yeah. it. Like it wasn't... It wasn't because it was something that was imposed on her. No. I think that she genuinely had a really happy, I think fulfilled life. I think she did. And I kind of want it. I kind of want it too. <laughs> I like making bread. So you want to like make bread and then like go sit at your typewriter and like type up a story. And like go back and like check on the bread and then type a little bit yes. more. That sounds so sweet. Doesn't nice. it? Nice. I know. In the Northwest. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. <sighs> It's just like such a romanticized view of life, which I'm sure yeah. the reality is much different, obviously. But Well, I, I do want to point out too another thing that I really love about her series, and and I think the reason that her books hold up so much is that in a time when there were a in lot a time. of in a time where there was a lot of upheaval happening, a lot of we're talking about the time period where we go from post World War II. Yeah. Into straight into civil rights movement, yeah, segregation, desegregation, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, and she's turning out these children's books, and she's able to capture kind of the insecurities of children mm-hmm. without referencing any specific time period. But yes, but also she doesn't really give a lot of descriptions of like physically of her characters other than Ramona, and right. she does talk about her classmate i think it's like Susie or something that has like the blonde curls that she wants Sorry, to join yeah. but other than that 
Like, honestly, her teachers could be any race. Her classmates yeah. could be any race. I think that's part of, like, what has allowed her books to endure. Mm-hmm. Is that there is that very, like we said, the comforting, nostalgic feel to them. But yeah. they're not tied to a specific time period to the point where, like, a reader might feel like, oh, I'm kind of alienated because that wasn't my time. And I can't even imagine, like, was that a conscious decision she made? Or is that just how her brain operates because she's such a that's wholesome person? That's a good person? question. I think... I think it was kind of both. I think... Because that takes a lot of and we'll, Yeah, we'll, we'll dive back into this, but just talking about how she was able to write children so well and kind of capture mm-hmm. how a child grows up, like that aging process really well, while still being very true to that age of yeah. that kid, but also having like a child's view of things in the world. It's like what's really important to that child is not necessarily some of these bigger things that are going on. Right. Other than like... Well, at the same time, she does such a good job of, like, I knew as a child, as I'm reading Ramona and her father, where mm-hmm. he's out of work and he's smoking right. more. I knew that he was depressed and I felt this kind of, like, I would tense up yeah, about like certain you under, things. Yeah, you understand that. Yeah, yeah. I, got, I got how she felt. I, I, didn't, I didn't have a word to put to it, like depression. Right. But I knew that something was off and that she felt it too, even though she didn't fully understand she, right, exactly, yeah. Or when she thinks her parents are going to get divorced mm-hmm. and she and her sister are trying to, like, figure that out. Yeah, and even, like, because of the way that I grew up economically, the joy of, on a payday, him coming and being like, we're going to take you to the the burger place yeah. and let you order whatever burger you want. And me being like, yeah, that is, like, the best day ever when your yeah. dad says you can order whatever you want off of this burger menu at, yeah. like, a cheap burger place. but. But when still, you're pinching like, pennies, yeah. like, you know. Family who's on a budget, yeah. So yeah. things are, yeah. All right, next number. Um, Let's go with seven. Okay. Wait. Okay. She probably, I was counting incorrectly. Because <laughs> this is not a math podcast. Not a math podcast. It still isn't. We keep trying to make it one, but. And it's not going to happen, so <laughs> stop asking us. So she wrote her last Ramona book when she was 83 years old. True or false? Oh, man. I'm trying to do the math here because I know that there was one that was written in like the 90s or something. Okay. Are you trying to do math in your head? This is not a math podcast. <laughs> True. I could see it was like a beautiful mind where like numbers are swirling around. It's like you. numbers, but also like but also getting distracted by colors. By wine. And wine, and wine like wine splots. <laughs> You're saying true? I'm going to say true. Celebratory stuff. Yes. So that last book was called Ramona's World, and it came out in 1999. I think I read that book. So I think that my sibling checked it out from the library, and I was like, I have to read this. I will say it wasn't my favorite. How about, well, she's also 83. But um, the one before Ramona Forever, I really liked. Yeah, Ramona Forever, yeah. So the Ramona books spanned 44 years isn't that crazy so crazy and like you said it's such a timeless thing that it didn't it was never an issue for me of like why was she in kindergarten in this last book and now she's in second grade 15 years later like it that never was a thing that crossed my mind no you're just like oh yeah the next ramona book sure again she was such a talented writer in keeping with this character okay a couple more questions which one four Four. One, two, three, four. Okay, so she got the name Ramona for the character Ramona because as she was writing, she heard a neighbor yell out for their kid, Ramona. And she's like, okay, I like that name. I'm going to make that my character's name. True or false? It's very writer. 
of her okay. to do that. Okay. There are so many times as a writer that I'm like stumped for something and then I'll hear something in the background and be like, we're Perfect. gonna go with that. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say true. Yes. Celebratory sip. True. Right. So far I've only gotten two wrong. Sure. I haven't been counting. <laughs> You never do. I never do. And then you just tell me that you that I lost at the end. I mean, if you're not getting a perfect score, you're losing, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> a very harsh grade. All right, apparently. give me question five. All right, I think this is our last one, right? Yeah. Okay. This is for all for the money. Win it or lose it. Yep. The whole cross-examination rides on this question. Yep. Over. Am I going to get this right? Because if I don't, you get all my debt. Wait, No. That's all I have in terms of financial. Just debt? <laughs> Just debt. Okay. I am insolvent. Oh, no. Okay. So after her last book was published. Brief interruption. Okay. Why is there a blue half zebra, half goat on our podcast side table? Okay. That's a piece of artwork from Boyfriends when he moved in. I like it. So we put it there. I like it. I like the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not consulted. I'm sorry. So, Do you live here? Is this my podcast room? Your podcast room. <laughs> Who always speaks first? That's because I'm doing a very important technical job at the beginning of every podcast. <laughs> and counting is hard for you. All right. We're going to make you do it next time then. Right. We're going to switch it up. Okay. Rachel says first words now. Says first words? Yes. Dada. <laughs> All right, last question. You okay. win or lose it. Your life's on the line. My, oh, God. We raised the stakes. We did raise the stakes. <laughs> All right, so after the last Ramona book was published, uh-huh. Beverly Cleary was being interviewed, and she said that she did have a regret, and she would want to go back in time and write Ramona as, like, a better child. Better is meaning, like, not in terms of Beverly's writing abilities, but in terms like of Ramona's obedient? character. Yeah, like a more obedient kid. No. So you're saying Absolute false? False. 100%. Okay, you got it. Thank you. Celebratory sip. Your life is safe for now. I was about to say, I don't believe that for a second because it's so important that Ramona mm-hmm. had these natural child reactions yeah. to things and, and her curiosity. Like, for instance, when she, uh, I remember this, again, like it's one of my own memories, when she squeezes out the entire tube of toothpaste in the sink. Because you just want to see what it looks like. Yeah. yeah. And she like made it into like a wedding cake. Yeah. Like, I remember yeah, reading I that and like, being like, I, I, I want to do that yeah, as like well. 100% on board. Yeah. Yeah. So Beverly Clear, oh, Bev said <laughs> that she purposefully wrote Ramona as someone who doesn't like become a better child. Even though Ramona obviously like learns and grows as the series goes on. Mm -hmm. But she really hated these books in which like children's literature and the characters in them would become like more obedient or like learn to be better kids. Like she said she hated stories like that. And she wanted a story that like actually reflected like what kids actually are like because she thought kids needed stories like that. So first of all. Fill up the wine glass. Yes. First of all, that's not an accurate depiction of what happens in a child's psyche. Yes. No. And as somebody who, again, grew up in the cult. Yep. um, Finish it out. There you go. And had abusive parents. 
if you see a child that's doing that, it's because they're being controlled. Their yeah. behavior is being controlled, but they're still experiencing the same emotional and uh, intellectual tendencies and ideas and you know all of that right. that uh, any other kid mm-hmm. is. The fact that they're not acting on it is just because they're afraid. Because they're afraid to, to right? And I think I think the way that she handles that is so great because Ramona does start to obviously develop and mature and it's it's really interesting to watch her as her empathy becomes more a part of her life but it doesn't change the fact that as her empathy is growing her curiosity and adventurousness is also growing and so she's getting into just different types of because that's very natural for a kid like Children are naturally curious and they want to learn about the world. And like mm-hmm. you said, that empathy part, like, yeah, smaller kids don't really have that because they don't see it's their brains just aren't there yet. Yeah, they, they are the center really of their own universe. Themselves. Yeah. It's like but, when she goes down to the basement and she takes a bite out of every apple and they ask her, why did why you did do, do that? that? And yeah. she was like, because the first bite of the apple is always the best. And yeah. so she took a bite out of every single right. apple. Makes complete yeah. sense to a child. And so then her mom had to make like a massive amount of applesauce that she gave away yeah. to all the neighbors. But like that kind of thing, yeah, you don't consider the ramifications of your no, actions you whatsoever. Don't. And even though like as she got older, she would start to think like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this or that. But there's still that curiosity there. Mm-hmm. Like Ramona was so true to like children and just wanting to explore and do things, but also just kind of feeling like super in touch with like how they're feeling in that moment. Yeah. And not in like a bad way. They're not like, it's not like Amelia Bedelia where like you're intentionally fucking stuff up. I'm like, well, I take it so literally. Right. Right. But it's just that idea of like, you just don't think about certain things. Yeah. There's not a, there's not a process of like this happens and then that affects this and then that affects this. Right. And then as she starts to get older, and she starts to realize my parents are stressed about money and things like that. She does start to consider things like waste. And, you, and there's a whole plot point about how she yeah. takes on a little bit of the stress that oh, she yeah. senses in her parents. And so that becomes an interesting thing of the parents having to learn that. Not to yeah, do that, or say certain things around their children. Yeah, yeah, because they are picking up on things, whether yeah. we realize it or not. Right. And so it becomes such a, it's such a fucking amazing. I mean, I feel like psychologists could use these books as like child development and well, parental like guidelines. Absolutely. And like she's been praised by a lot of not only people in the literary world, but also like child psychologists for saying that like she's really capturing childhood, mm-hmm. like you said at the beginning, in a really real authentic way. And Beverly said that she wanted to write kids' books because as a children's librarian, she thought about kids who would come into the library and like want good books to read and there just wasn't stuff out there that captured right. them. Right. Because she said either it was like stupid like Dick and Jane books where like nothing happened, or it was like books that were set in like this fantasy realm that kids couldn't necessarily relate to. And so there she, is something to be said for the the fantasy books. Oh, obviously. I, we love we both as yeah. kids like love the fantasy. I think for the escapism aspect of it. Yeah, but but that real life thing was mm-hmm. so important for kids as well. It's interesting too because I grew up reading the Little House on the Prairie books as well. Yes, mm-hmm, same. And loved them, mm-hmm. but found so much more comfort in the Ramona books yeah. than I did the Little House books, and yeah. I think it's because. It was just more relatable mm-hmm. to where I am. And I'm so fascinated to see 
how this continues because I mean, we're reaching the point now where the first Beverly Cleary book is almost 75 years old. I know. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy for me to think about. Well, and what's so interesting, too, is that it has endured for so long. And of course, like some things are a little bit different, like in the 1950s versus, you know, 2020s. I'm sure some things maybe would have been written a little bit differently, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is really timeless. Because she keeps it. Because it's from the kid's perspective, it's very ambiguous. Yeah. It right, because really as a kid, like, point. you're not really aware of what's going on in the outside world other than, like, your immediate universe with, like, family, friends, school. Like, that's what you know as yeah. a child. So it's really cool. And so um, much of the focus is on the emotions. Yes. That are universal. Yeah. I think. Like, when they decide they're going to build a wing onto their house, they're going to do an addition. Mm-hmm. And because I think the mom got pregnant again. Yeah, they had the youngest sister, Roberta, or Roberta, mom was pregnant yeah. during this process when they were building the other room. And so Ramona is so excited that she gets her own room yeah. and blah, 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 and all this stuff. But then she's like sleeping in it while the yeah. yeah the plastic is over it because yeah. I haven't completed it yet. And she gets scared. And yeah. I remember being a kid and being like, we react the same way to things. Yeah, it's the same. For me, like... Beverly clearly, oh no, Bev, Bev. <laughs> stick with Bev, Bev and Judy Bloom's books are like kind of go hand in hand together. Judy Bloom is writing a little bit older of an age range. I wasn't like allowed adolescent to read tweens Judy Bloom. Because she talked about like periods and stuff. And some of like the Judy Bloom stuff was very tied to that time period with, with mm-hmm. certain things, but it still had the same essence of like really capturing that character's mindset at that age. Which, like, I really appreciate it. Yeah. So when I was reading through Beverly Cleary's books for the first time, Mm -hmm. I was probably seven, maybe eight. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I continued to check them out from the library after that Mm -hmm. as, like, again, that, like, nostalgic comfort kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But when I was around 10 or 11, I remember, is when I, for the first time, read her book, Dear Mr. Henshaw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a more, I say mature book. Yeah. But it's about a kid. If you guys haven't read it at home, it's amazing. It's a much more somber sort Mm -hmm. of book. But it's about this kid who's around my age, 10 or 11. And he is writing letters to his favorite author Mm -hmm. about his life post his parents' divorce. Mm -hmm. And it's really... Just, again, such an incredible insight. And what's what's amazing about that book to me is that for the Ramona book, she's drawing a lot on her own personal experience in she life. She did. She pulled a lot of her own yeah. childhood experiences or feelings, at mm-hmm. least, into things. But she wasn't a product of 1970s divorce. She wasn't. And she, But she did she it. She captured that. So I, she just had such a great insight into children. Yeah. And I don't know if it was the fact that she was around young children a lot as a children's librarian, the fact that she had kids of her own, or she was just maybe just extremely gifted or a combination of, who knows? I think it's a combination of But all she of was it. able to really tap yeah. into that so well. I think she was just a natural observer. Mm-hmm. I use this term very specifically in this case, a natural empath. I don't, because I don't like the term empath. Sure. But I think she was a natural empath. And I think that she was a natural nurturer too. Yes. That she, she saw, she understood, and then she tried to nurture. And that combination just really helped her 
get into the psyche of these things. It did. It did, yeah. I there was one um one of the book, I forget which Ramona book too, where she talked about Ramona talked about seeing her mom and her mom's sister, her aunt, yeah. like getting along so well, and then kind of feeling bad that like she and Beezus didn't get along that well. And the mom and the aunt had to explain, like, no, it's just because like we're we're different now as adults than we were as right. kids. And like that I remember like really stood out to me as a kid because I was like, oh yeah, like I don't really like my brother a whole lot as right. children all the times. Because like Ramona and Beezus, we were had a big enough age gap where things weren't always relatable, but we still had to spend a lot of time together mm-hmm. in certain ways mm-hmm. that developmentally, like maybe we wouldn't have spent time with somebody of that different age. Right. You know, you and wouldn't as a third grader have a best friend who was a first grader. No, well, like my brother and I are babies. Well, my brother and I are five years apart. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so when he was in kindergarten, I was in fifth grade. So I was like, yeah. I'm the big kid in the school and you're the baby coming in and I remember but, hanging but out. But also, like, as an adult, I'm like, yeah, my brother now and I are, like, genuine friends. And we, right. like, and get along with one another and relate to one another in ways that we didn't necessarily growing up. Right. I remember because my siblings are 10 and 12 That's years a bigger younger. difference. Yeah. And I would be hanging out with, like, my best friends as, like, a 13 and 14-year-old. Mm-hmm. And here comes my three and four-year-old, three or four-year-old sibling into the room and I'd be like, oh, my God, no, get out. This is, like, my time with my friends. And yeah. then my, my friends would be like, oh, but they're so cute. Like, let them stay, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, no, ew, you know? Yeah. Like, this whole thing of, like, just getting so angry that they were so cute that my friends wanted them to see. And obviously my friends are just like, oh, look at this cute little thing that's like a pet, you know? Right. Like, I don't have to live with us all the time and have right. the responsibilities put on me that yeah. you had. Yeah. Also, I want to talk about, like my innermost thoughts and feelings right now. And I don't need some snitch here. Right. It's a yeah. little kid who doesn't know anything. Right. Yeah. Um, Beverly said that she wanted to write kids books because kids deserve books. This is an exact quote. Kids deserve books of literary quality. End quote. Well, that is a bit narcissistic. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's no, she, 100% yeah, true, though. It's true. It's true. It's true. And like when you go back and as an adult, like rereading these books, like these are very well written. Obviously, they're tailored to that age range, but they're so well done. I know that awards aren't actually an indication of true merit all the time. But just looking at the sheer number of like, does she have a single book that doesn't have awards? I mean, probably, but I don't I didn't write it down because she is so well respected. So she's. So beloved. She she really is. Like, so she's had multiple things like named after her. There's a residence hall at UC Berkeley named after her. Yes, because that's Just her alma mater. Sweet. I know, I love that. There's um an elementary school in Portland named after her. There's um, you know the street where Ramona and Click a tap. Yeah, click a tap. There's an actual it's based on a real street in Portland. Of course, it's not the same name, but the one of the libraries in Portland was like, hey, we want like a cartographer to actually draw up a map of Clickitat Street. I love that. For these characters, there are like statues of her. Ever. There's so many things just honoring her. So when we do our road trip and yes. we stop in Portland, we yes. need to go to the street that Clickitat Street is based off of. Because yes. don't you think it's just it's a bunch like, of like ranch homes with like probably, big, tall, shady trees I'm sure out it's front. like so unaffordable now. For oh, us. oh, for sure. For sure. But we can we can afford we can to pretend. drive along. We can afford. Well, maybe with gas. We'll see. <laughs> well, we Send are being funny. We are being funded by our by listeners. By you. Thank you. 
By viewers like you. Yes. No. Apparently we're PBS now. By the Arthur Blank Foundation. Sure. And viewers like you? Is yes. That, what is it? The Arthur Miller Foundation? Okay, you're naming two very different people. Arthur Blank founded Home Depot and he owns the Falcons, or he did. Arthur was, Miller was a mid-century American writer who wrote The Crucible and All My oh, Sons yeah, and, and was a married salesman. to Marilyn Monroe, Monroe for a short period of time, yes. Who am I thinking of? The Arthur Something Foundation. PBS always says it. I don't know. Like Keep going with cartoons. Arthur names. Arthur the Aardvark. Yes. Foundation. He became very successful as an adult. Well, good for him. Good for Arthur. Honestly. It's hard out there for an aardvark. It really is. <laughs> so let's talk about the end of Beverly's life. Oh, no. Yeah. She died very recently. She did. So she and Clarence. They were married until he died in 2004. Oh. They were married for 64 years. Oh my God, that's amazing. That's amazing. She died in 2021, so not that long ago. It was very recent. Yeah, she yeah. was 104 when she died. And she died in her like retirement home in Carmel. Love that. That's sweet that she just passed away. Um, in 2000- Surrounded by her book friends and the sea and the sea yeah oh my god that's how i want to die too surrounded by all of my favorite books and in a really nice location yes (laughs) i know like i'm not a bad go. i'm not in like sarasota oh right i know in 2009 i think i didn't write down the year she was declared a living legend by the library of congress isn't that cool? That is amazing. Talk about, again, awards aren't everything, but what an honor. I know. Did she ever get the Presidential Medal of Freedom? Ooh, I don't think so, but I'd have to double check on that. Wow. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, thanks. That's really on you, Obama. <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, I do feel like he would have been. I feel like if anybody were to give yeah. her one, it would have been him. Oh, honestly, though, no, because, <gasps> no, it would have been George W. Bush because... Uh, Laura Bush's whole first lady oh, thing was reading, was reading. Which, obviously, we're not fans of the Bushes here. No. But, but I do appreciate literacy. Yeah, and I make a good argument there. You do. Or maybe Bill Clinton should have done that because of his cat socks. Mm. Another missed opportunity. Yeah, and honestly, she's a very wholesome character, so that would have been a very good move he for you. He could have redeemed your... himself, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's on the Clintons again. Yeah. Once again, the Clintons so are I'm gonna, at fault. So I'm going to blame the Bushes first. Okay. Then the Clintons. Okay. Then and Obama? Then I think that Obama at that point had his hands tied where he was like, there's a precedent for not He's doing like, I this. Can't, like, I can't. There's a possibly. dark history somewhere in there that I haven't acknowledged <laughs> or figured out yet. No, just kidding. She lived a really non- Quiet life. Yeah, quiet life. There's like really no controversy in her life. I just um, love that so much. Can you imagine being one of the most ubiquitous children's authors for 75 fucking years? I know. And like never. Having controversy, really. You know that I would let the fame go to my head. Oh, you've already let the fame go to your head. I wasn't even famous. And, and you I let was it like, go to your head. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know when you were in elementary school if you had these days called Dear Days, Drop Everything and Read. Yes, I forgot about that. Do you know when that day happened? Her birthday? Yes, it was for her. Wait, wasn't that in the books though? Didn't it she like create that? Well, I remember. And then they adopted it. Well, I remember when I was in school, there's something called a rad. This is a 1980s thing, so you're too young to remember. 
I know you'd love that. It was called Read All Day. So it was a similar similar thing. And I don't know if that was maybe what it had originated from and then became And then became that, yeah. Because that was definitely part of, I remember it might have been Ramona Quimby age eight. Might have been. Um, But I remember, like, I loved those days. Yes. Like, you got to bring, like, a pillow and, like, a... Yes. You literally just, like, read all day at school, and it was the best thing ever. So my first day of school... So I wasn't homeschooled until I was in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. So kindergarten through fourth, I was at the Christian private school. Mm -hmm. And my my favorite day was the first day of school mm-hmm. when I would go and all of my school supplies are new. My oh, folders I, all smell I so still good. still love good new school supplies. Oh, love it. We both hoard pens. That's Yes. <laughs> yes. And like the pencils and the erasers. Oh, yeah. Like the yeah. nice post-it notes, the good paper. My grandparents would always get me the pencil holder, like the like pads the little, okay, that uh-huh. you, you, know, you put mm-hmm. on your pencil, except... Every year I would tell them, I don't hold my pencil like other people, so this doesn't do me any good because mm. um, I hold my pencil weird. But my favorite thing was when recess would happen, mm-hmm. as all the other kids are like going outside, I would always make sure that I took the long way around mm-hmm. so that I could check out the library of mm. our classroom because we always, like our teachers always had bookshelves with like mm-hmm. class books there that we could read that mm-hmm. were in like fiction. And, yeah. And that was kind of like how I would gauge how my year was going to go was by the books that they had like there. Like looking at the books on mm-hmm. the shelf. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I remember my second grade teacher, um, she had, Mrs. Martin, she had a book called the cyclone Mm. that was like a really cool picture book about this kid going on his first roller coaster Mm -hmm. and it was really cool because it had a lot of like maps of what the roller coaster was like yeah feel what it was yeah yeah it was really fun children's authors i think are some of the most important writers Mm -hmm. i don't care about the next great american novel no honestly no (laughs) as someone who's been an English major, like Same. really focused on American lit. No. Same. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Because it's the children's authors who are, first of all, you are shaping whether or not a child enjoys reading. Mm-hmm. You're taking on that responsibility. And that's yeah. a really heavy onus to have. It is. And it's so incredible and important when it's done well. But also, you're almost like a therapist for a child, mm-hmm. too, because having like Beverly Cleary being yeah. such a mirror of childhood experience, mm-hmm. it made me feel seen and appreciated. It made me feel like I wasn't alone. It helps, I think, really good children's books help you understand the world in a way that makes sense for you at that time. Mm-hmm. So the Ramona books help you kind of understand what it's like to go into third grade mm-hmm. or feeling anxiety about a growing awareness of your family's finances and feeling like, oh, these are like real world things that I kind of have to start to understand and know about. Being scared that your teacher doesn't like you. Right. Those are big things. Yeah. So for a kid's book to really capture that in a meaningful way is super important. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. So. Is it time? It's time. All right.
Okay. I think we need to deliver two separate verdicts. Okay. Because it's, I guess, like guilty by association kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. But we've, we've, we've talked aiding and abetting, yes, but we've talked about two separate things. So would you like to deliver the verdict for the wine or for Bev first? Um, I'm going to deliver the verdict for Bev. Okay. And I think you should deliver the verdict for the wine. Okay. Can we overrule one another if we need to? We absolutely can. Okay, fair. All right, okay. you go first. I'll be generous. So mm-hmm. in this extremely prestigious court of law, Mm-hmm. Palatial surroundings. Yes. Marble halls. In my podcast room. Yes. <laughs> Not Tofer's. Our joint podcast room oh, that I own equal part of. I wouldn't say that. I would. Okay. I find the defendant, <gasps> Bev. <gasps> Not guilty. Of course Girl. not guilty. Was that a... That's not a surprise. That's not a question. Yeah, no. All right, let's take a little sip. Well, I contemplate because I'm still on the fence. Mmm. <laughs> okay. Okay, I really have to take it in. Right, right. I, Judge Rachel, find our defendant, our Stuart Big Fire Willamette Valley Pinot Noir Wine... Not guilty. Thank you. Of course not guilty. This is delicious. This is amazing. Delightful. Honestly, I think whoever put them on trial need to be fired. Oh my God, right? Right? Right. Even though we've had, we've all had fun here today. (laughs) (laughs) It has been really, really fun. I've really enjoyed learning more about the person who is behind a lot of my like childhood comfort um, and and warmth and development. Honestly, yeah. I think she yeah, helped me real. develop as a as a human being for sure. So thank you for providing all of that, Rachel. You're welcome. And that's it. Thank you. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> no, thank you, you Topher, for sharing your experiences um, with the Willamette Valley wines and winery, this particular R. Stewart um, winery in general, because I think that's really cool just to hear about how much goes into your glass of wine that we drink and we kind of take for granted in a lot of ways. I absolutely took it for granted before this experience. Um, And I do not anymore. I realize what a sacrifice and Mm -hmm. process it is. So to all of you listening at home, go to the library, treat yourself to a Beverly Cleary book. Take your bottle of wine with you. Honestly. Honestly. If you share it with a librarian, they probably won't kick you out. I wouldn't kick you out. That's for sure. And as a certified librarian. As a certified wine librarian. Wine librarian. As a librarian with a wine problem. (laughs) Topher won't kick you out. No, but go and and revisit some Beverly Cleary because she's such a wonderful person. If you've not had the privilege of reading Mm -hmm. her, I say do it as an adult and it'll take you back in a way yes. that's so magical and beautiful and wonderful. Also, massive shout out to R. Stewart and Company Winery. Yes. Yeah. Rob Stewart, you're an amazing winemaker. I'm so incredibly privileged to be able to do this uh, podcast and feature you, uh, which I'm not paid to say. I bought this with my own money. I am but paid. if you would like to send me, <laughs> you know, like a... Yeah. A case of wine. That would be, like, fine. Just put, like, care of Judge Rachel. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for this because this was delicious. And if you're having a tough day or you have kids, 
Have a nice glass. Mm-hmm. Read some Beverly Cleary. It'll make you like kids again. Yeah, enjoy it. All right. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Ciao. Oh, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Also, you can reach out to us and ask us questions. Yeah, we both forgot that part. <laughs> We're like, get these fuckers out of our house. <laughs> so you can reach us at True Crimes Against Wine at Gmail or TikTok. Instagram and Facebook. And if you send us a question or some sort of meaningful correspondence, I'd say. Yeah. We'll send you a little piece of flag. Send nudes. Nope, don't do that, please. <laughs> we will send you some swag, though, if you send us a question. So, yes. Yeah, do that, please. All right. Well, until next time, let's... Cheers for real. Let's exit this awkwardly. <laughs> yes. All right, bye. Ciao. <laughs>